that had it not been for what Jesus Christ did on that cross, and he didn't have to do it. You do understand that. He didn't really have to do it. At any moment, he could have called for just for a band of angels to come and rescue him from that cross. But I, I'll tell you what kept him nailed to that cross. His love for you and his love for me kept him nailed to a cross. You want to know what else couldn't hold him in a grave? His love for you and his love for me couldn't hold him in a grave. I'm thankful today for the love and the grace and the mercy and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we ought to praise the Lord today for what he's done in our hearts and what he's done in our lives. Hallelujah. Turn to John 17, please, this morning, if you don't mind. I want to move quickly today. I want to tie up this series, a little two-part series. I started last week entitled The Power of One. And I want to read from John 17 today. While you're turning there, it's a delight this morning to have Doug and Janet Burchett's son, Jeff, and his wife, Michelle, with us today. So thankful that, that they're with us this morning. They come in every year and they host a golf tournament and raise some money and we were able to play in that yesterday and be a part of that and it's always good to, to have them with us and uh, we're just delighted today that they're here. We welcome you. Uh, Jeff and Michelle, thank you today for being here. Thank you for your heart and your work for missions and uh, we raised a bunch of money for a good cause yesterday. Uh, some folks played good golf. Some folks played bad golf and I'm convinced probably some folks cheated. I don't know. I'm, maybe not. <laughs> I won't mention any names. Ronnie Burchett, I won't say anything. John chapter 17 this morning. I digress. We better not stop there. We'll never get any further. This right here is quite possibly the most significant and meaningful prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Some theologians and historians have called it the Lord's Prayer, and here's why. Because he prayed directly to the Father when he prayed this. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for believers everywhere. Now, you're sitting there, and I said this last week, Pastor, how could it be the Lord's Prayer? Because Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Well, I just want to suggest to you, Jesus could have never prayed that prayer that he taught his disciples to pray because he taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus never had to ask the Father to forgive him because he was perfect. He was pure. He was spotless. He was without blemish. When he prayed this prayer here, he prayed it directly to his Father, and he prayed three things for his disciples. He prayed they would be kept from the power of sin. He prayed that they would be strengthened for their assignment that they would have when he left, and he prayed that they would be brought safely to heaven. But there's one part of this prayer that Jesus prayed. I want to I read to you beginning at verse 6 and conclude at verse 11, and I'm going to move quickly through this today. I don't want to hold you long. Beginning at verse 6, the Bible says this, I have manifested your name, Jesus said to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Verse 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. Verse 11, what I want you to pay attention to. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me. Watch this last line right here. That they may be one. Somebody say one. 
Let's try it again. Somebody say one. That they may be one as we are. Jesus prayed for his disciples to be united together. He prayed for them to be one. Last Sunday, I talked about the power of one, and I talked about a church united and how we've got to be unified in the church if we're going to accomplish the work that Jesus Christ has put us on this earth to accomplish. He didn't send us here, and he didn't put us here on this earth to accomplish and to establish more programs and more things just in the church, but he sent us here to reach a lost and a dying world. And today I want to talk about a family united. Father, bless the reading of your word today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, God, hearts to receive today. This is your word today, God. I ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you. You can be seated today, Pastor Tony. Thank you for your help. It is help. It is my opinion today that there is nothing more powerful than unity. The scripture is replete with example after example of the effectiveness of unity and the work that is accomplished when we are one. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 18 and 19 that if any two of us would agree on earth concerning anything that we ask him, it would be done for them, he said, by my Father in heaven. The Old Testament passage of Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 20. We're reminded that one can put a thousand to flight and two, when they join together, can put 10,000 to flight. I don't have time to read this passage to you today, but in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, there's about six verses there that Paul speaks to us about the bond of unity and one faith and one Lord and one baptism and one God and one Father of all. Unity is a powerful thing. And we not only need to be united in the church, God in heaven knows that we need to be united in our families. Our homes must be one. And if we have ever needed cohesiveness in the home, we are living in that day and time right now. The family must be united. It was the great Winston Churchill who once said that there is no doubt that it is around the family and the home that the greatest virtues, the most dominating virtues of human society are created, they are strengthened, and they are maintained. We need our homes and our families to be one. And today's families come in all sizes, they come in all shapes, they come in all colors. But regardless of what your family unit looks like today, there must be unity in our homes. Because I am convinced that unity in the home will always lead to unity in the church. And the more people that I talk to and the more experiences that I have and the more stories that I hear, the family today is being fractured unlike any time in the history of this world. Some of our families are like the one that I read about some time ago. There was this little girl who was being punished at mealtime and forced to eat her dinner in the corner. And while she sat there in the corner and the rest of the family was at the table, 
They could overhear her praying this, God, I thank thee that you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And here's the truth today. We have a lot of families that are not united. We have a lot of families that are fractured, a lot of homes where there is division. And when you look in the early pages of the book of Genesis, and we see a picture of what I call the very first family, we see a home that is united. When God puts, creates man from the dust of the earth, he breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living being, the Bible said. He puts Adam into a deep sleep. He performs side surgery on him, pulls out a rib, and he creates woman. And in Genesis 2, 23 and 24, the Bible says that Adam looked at her and said, She is now bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the Bible says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But as the family began to grow in the pages of Genesis, so did some issues that came along with that growth. Adam and Eve were united as one, and God opens up her womb and gives to her two boys named Cain and Abel. You know the story. Both of those boys, in an act of worship, brought an offering to God, and Cain just brought some fruit from the ground, but Abel brought to God the firstborn of his flock. He brought a sacrificial offering. And the Bible teaches us that God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And when that happened, Cain rose up in a jealous rage and in wrath, and he murdered his brother Abel. And all of a sudden, a home that was be one time united and one time together, all of a sudden, it has now been fractured. And if you look today at homes across this great landscape of this country that we call America, we see homes that are failing, they are falling, and they are faltering. But we need homes today in this country. We need families today that will stand. They will succeed. They will survive. They will soar. We need our families to be one. Now, here's the question today that I'd like to pr propose and present to you. How do we keep our families one? How do we keep our homes united in the midst of a world that is so fragmented? How do we, if, if we're presently living right now in a home that is not united, how do we create this thing called unity? I believe in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a picture of this. In the verses that precede the, the latter part of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has talked about right living. He's talked about relationships. He's talked about how to, to come to God with proper request. And in verses 24 and 25, here's what Jesus said. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he said, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He said, the rains descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. First of all, here's what you need to know today. There are some dangers 
that are taking place today in this world that threaten to destroy our homes. And if we are not careful, we will find our homes being infiltrated and divided by the things that are happening on the outside of it. Notice that Jesus talked about rains descending and the floods coming and the winds beating against that house. There are storms, listen to me, that big and small at certain seasons of time, there are stormy times that will blow into your families and that will blow into your home and that if you're not careful, it will cause such chaos, it will cause such confusion, and it will cause your home to be fragmented. Here's what I know today, that there is a real enemy of our souls that is out there today. And he has one purpose in mind, and that is the demise of our families and the demise of, of our homes. It was Jesus who said in John 10 and 10 that the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Peter warned us in 1 Peter 5 and 8 to be sober, to be vigilant because our adversary the devil walketh about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It was Paul who wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 6 and 12 and said that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I am convinced today that the enemy has a goal in mind. He has a bull's eye on the back of our families and the back of our homes, and he would love nothing greater than to destroy our homes and so discord in our homes and divide our families. There are real dangers that are out there that threaten to destroy our homes. Storms that will blow into our homes and blow against our homes at times. Spiritual and relational storms. And when I, when I think of storms, my mind goes to the book of Job for just a moment. And those ten children that he had that day that were feasting in the house, the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that a great wind storm arose. And it blew the four corners of that house down and all ten of Job's children died in that one setting. I understand that the context of that scripture today is implying and speaking to us about a physical storm that came through that house. But I know just this past week as I talked with some people, I understand that there are some spiritual storms that will come against our homes at times. There are spiritual and relational storms. There is marital strife that people are dealing with, parental conflict that people are dealing with, relational tension that's taking place in the home. There are, are morals and values values and systems that are, that are so different in our homes today that it causes such, such great conflict. There is financial struggle. There has been the betrayal of trust in homes that has led to the brokenness of heart. And here's what I want you to understand today, that when those things are present in our home, it creates what I call this perfect storm. Not perfect in a good sense, but when all of those things start lining up and the atmosphere starts sensing that tension and that conflict, division is present. And I'm telling you that if we're not careful, it will destroy our homes. The dangers that are lurking out there are real, and it will fracture our families. Is this all right? Let me keep going here for a minute. So there are some decisions that we have to make if our homes are going to be united. 
There are some decisions that we're going to have to make if our families are going to be one. In this latter part of verse 24, I believe that Jesus gives us a formula when he talks about the rains descending and about the floods that were rising and the wind that blew and beat against that house. Here's what Jesus said. He said, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. The house, when I think of a house, I think of a home. When I think of a home, all of a sudden I start thinking about a family unit. And the reason that the house didn't fall because the wise man, Jesus said, had founded or built or established that house upon the rock. I'm telling you today that we have no choice as family units and as a home. We must throw ourselves upon the rock, Jesus Christ, and build our homes and center our homes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus himself who looked at the religious leaders one day and said that the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It was the psalmist who said, blessed be the rock of my salvation. It was the psalmist who prayed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Listen, we can't build our home upon some philosophy that we have or something that Dr. Phil teaches us or some parenting class teaches us. Yeah, I believe we need to seek out and search out wisdom with the, the, the cornerstone that we must lay, the building block that we must lay first and foremost in our home. We must be built up on the rock Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I've been building my home upon the rock Jesus Christ for ever since I can remember. And B, it's never failed me one time. I'm convinced it will never fail me. The only choice we have in these days is is to build our home upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on and give him praise today. Here you go. Let me tell you what that looks like. Two things. If our home is built upon and founded upon the rock, listen, it's not going to fracture, Brother Gene Turpin. And here's what it looks like. When you build or form and your home is founded upon the rock, number one, it is built upon the truth of God's Word. I'm going to say that again. It is built upon the truth of God's Word. Every decision that we make in our homes, everything we do in our homes, it should be centered around the Word of God. Nothing more and nothing less. Do you realize I read something this week? That in the ancient Jewish culture, that formal education started at six years of age. They say that the Jewish boys would enroll in the local synagogue school that was called the House of the Book. And from the age of six until the age of ten, they would be under the teaching of a rabbi. 
On the first day of school, tradition said that the rabbi would take a slate, a writing slate. He would hand those out to those boys who for the rest of the year would write on those. And one of the first things that rabbi, rabbi did, he was, that he would take honey and he would pour it over top of that slate. The student, they said, would then take that slate and begin to lick the honey off of the slate. While he was doing that, he would quote a passage of Scripture from Psalm 119 that said, How sweet are your words to my mouth, sweeter than honey to my taste. They said it was the first and the most important lesson that the rabbi would teach to those kids on that very first day of school. And it would teach them and reveal to those little six-year-old boys that God's Word is sweeter than honey. It would reveal to them that God's Word is the land of milk and honey. It would reveal to them that God's Word is the true promised Lamb. And they say that at the end of that four-year period, that those Jewish boys would be able to quote every single word from the Old Testament Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They say that those boys, after four years, they, they had memorized every jot and every tittle of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They said when they were done there at what was called the house of the book, they would graduate at the age of 10 to the house of learning. And while they were there in the house of learning for those next four years, they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew Scripture. When that four-year period was done, some of them would graduate to what is called the house of study. Several, many of those boys would never make it to that third level. The ones that did not make it, they would go into the family business and work with their, their dad and whatever the family business was. But the few that, that were blessed to get that far to the house of study, they would go to their rabbi. And they would request of him to be his disciple. If they were chosen to be his disciple, he would extend an invitation to them that said, come follow me. Those students understood that when that invitation was extended and they accepted that invitation, that they, had, they were going to have to completely surrender and devote themselves to that rabbi. They understood that they would have to completely and totally buy into his philosophy. They, what they say is that, that really they were taking that rabbi's yoke upon them. They would spend, Brother Jerry Beckner, every waking moment with that rabbi. Wherever he went, they went. Whatever he did, Aunt B, they did. Whatever he said, they listened and this complete devotion of discipleship to this rabbi was sometimes called being covered in the dust of your rabbi. And it was an allusion to the fact that, uh, that, that, that those students would follow so closely their rabbi. 
That when he would walk and the dust would be kicked up off of his heels, that it would cover that student in their dust, and thus they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. Can I tell you today that the only way that we can really be united as one in our families is that when we are, we are based upon the truth of God's Word and everything that God says we do, every place that God calls us to go, we go. Every single word that we read in this book, we hang on to it as truth. Listen, there's a lot of other books out there and Christian resources and helps that we can use as we build our families and build our homes and raise our kids and pour into our grandchildren. But I'm telling you, there is still a bestseller of all times. It is called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that is the book for me. And if we could ever get to that place that we say, oh, yes, your words are sweet to my taste. They are indeed sweeter than honey. And we follow, listen, the rabbi of all rabbis, the teacher of all teachers, the Lord Jesus Christ, because understand something, he is the word. It was John who said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. I'm telling you, if we'll build ourselves and build our lives and build our homes on the truth of God's word, it doesn't matter what storm the devil may send. It doesn't matter how high the floodwaters may rise. It doesn't matter how strong the wind may blow. If I'm built upon the truth of God's word, I'm telling you, there is no demon or devil in hell that can divide my family. I'm standing on the promises of God today. Here's the last one. What does it look like when your home is formed on the rock? We are built on the truth of his word. Built on the truth of God's word. And number two, we're built on the tenacity of prayer. Pastor Tony, just come help me land this, please. I just want you to come right now and play softly. I told you I was going to be fast today. We're built on the truth of his word. And we're built on the tenacity of prayer. Listen to me today, please, if you don't mind. Prayer is not some passive, part-time thing that we do. Prayer is not something that we practice when we're just desperate. Prayer is not something that we have that we treat God like a genie in a bottle. And that we can just make a wish and it'll come to pass. I believe we should ask for things in prayer. But I believe we should ask according to God's word and his will. But prayer is prayer is a passionate daily plea that we make to God. Brother Harold Stout, for his will and his work and his kingdom to come and to be done in and through our lives to this world. Prayers become more of a convenience for some of us. And when we need something, we just pull it off the shelf and say, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, and I want this. And if the only time you talk to God is when you want something, stop doing that. Gosh, Pastor, you, I'm not angry. But we treat God like He's our, our lucky charm. And if we get in a bind, okay, you, you listen, I, I hear... Unchurched people, I've heard non-Christian people talk about praying 
And talking, I, I hate this phrase, by the way, talking to the man upstairs. If you say that, I'm sorry, but I, don't ever say that to me. He is not a man upstairs. He is Jehovah God, the God that's above every other God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. I, I don't have to talk to a man upstairs. I can go boldly to the throne of grace. And I can petition my God and my Lord and my King. Talking to the man. It's such an insult to me. I, it just rubs me the wrong way. I'm sorry. And I read the other day about this prayer hero of sorts. A man by the name of George Mueller. And along with pastoring the same church for 66 years. Can you imagine? Pastoring one church for 66 years. He established the Ashley Down Orphanage in England. That orphanage became the passion of his life. And during his time leading that orphanage, he cared for, they said, some 1,024 orphaned children. He established, they said, 117 different schools across England to take care of their education. They said in today's dollars, Pastor Mueller probably raised about $150 million to take care of the ministry that God had put in his heart. But here's the amazing thing about it. They said that he never one time asked for one penny. Never really asked for one thing. But here's what would happen. They said when he had a need, instead of asking, he'd just go to God in prayer. And history tells us that if he needed a pipe fix, he just prayed for God to send a plumber. That if he needed books or food, he just prayed for God to, to send it. Never really petitioned anybody publicly for anything. But he just, he so believed in the power of prayer that God would answer those prayers that he treated every prayer as a, as a need and would just pray and God would just provide. They tell us, that George Mueller in his journal, they said there were somewhere around 30,000 specific prayers that he had journaled that God had answered. Here's what's really amazing about it. They said that in his lifetime that he read the Bible from cover to cover 200 times. It's no wonder he had that kind of prayer life because he prayed the Word. And see, we don't, we don't pray the Word. We always pray our wants. Man, I can't get no help. I do it too. But when you start praying the Word, you can't pray the Word unless you get in the Word. Oh, I feel, I feel real pastoral this morning for a minute. And there are some folks in the church world today, Pastor Tony, they, they, they live from Sunday to Sunday. I'm not anywhere close to being a good enough preacher for you to live from Sunday to Sunday. You've got to have some time during the week to get this book in you. Oh, my Lord. 
because we've depended upon preachers and Sunday school teachers and Christian TV. I don't have any problem with Christian TV, but you better be careful with everything you listen to that comes through the TV from Christian things. Because you'll hear people preaching hyper grace and live how you want to, and there's no such thing as hell anymore, and just live how, that's a bunch of hogwash. Boy, I feel like an old dinosaur this morning preaching this old good old gospel truth today. And you can't really pray until you get the word in you. And you can't get the word in you just on Sundays. You got to open this book up and get some of it in you. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it, and I'm going to make some of you mad. I got a big old I don't care spirit on me this morning. If we spent half as much time in the book, if we, I'm preaching to myself too, if we spent half as much time in the book as we did on Facebook, we'd be okay. If we spent half as much time in this book or even just dedicated the first part of our day to God as we did in a, in a boat or on a golf course or anywhere else, we'd be all right. Well, I, need, I need to be, somebody better just tell the pastor to be quiet because I'm about to step off a ledge right here. And when you get the word in you, listen, your prayer life will change. You'll start praying differently. You'll start praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Instead of give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy, I'll take anything you want to give me. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding right now, but I'm telling you some truth today. Listen to me. And some of you want, your, you want situations in your home to change. And you want some healing to take place in your home. And you want God to do a work in your home. Listen, you got to get in this word and build your life upon it. And then you got to find a prayer life and start communing with God about what he wants for you. And George Mueller, listen, that guy, he prayed like it depended upon God, but he worked like it depended upon him. And at some point, listen, you got to get up out of the prayer closet, put some legs on your prayers, and get to work and start trusting God to do what you've asked him to do. Pastor, I want God to work in my home. I want to see God do some things in my family. Two simple things. If you build it on the truth of his word and the tenacity of prayer, I'm convinced we'll see God unite our homes like we never have before in our lives. Stand on your feet, please. <clears throat> Bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes right where you're standing. And I know there's people in here today you want God to work in your home. Listen, I was out this week somewhere just doing some daily things over on my neck of the woods where I live and encountered someone and talked with them, and their home is a mess right now. And they said, we, we just wanted to get a little bit of advice from you, wisdom from you. Can you help us pray? And I mean, it's a mess. And there's such discord and there's such division. And if God doesn't intervene, it's going to be a fractured mess in a few weeks. That's the, kind of, listen, that's the kind of things we're dealing with today. And there's some of you in here, you need God to heal your home. I need you to bow your heads and close your eyes for me, please, just for a moment. I want you and God just to have some time. Jesus, Jesus. And you need God to work in your home. And you need God to work in your families. You need God to work in the life of your children. And God to work maybe in your marriage. 
you got some real things going on in your home. And Pastor, I, I want God to work in my home today. I'm praying that God would begin to do a work in your home as you build it upon the truth of His Word and the tenacity of prayer and you lay aside your ambitions and your selfishness and what you think it should be and what it should look like and say, God, I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in my home. God, I want you to do whatever you want to do in my home. Make us one, oh God. Make us one. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Here's the altar call I'm going to give. Just a moment, Pastor Tony's going to begin to sing. And as he does, I want every family that will today to join me at this altar. If you're by yourself today, we'll find you someone to hook up with so you won't be by yourself. I want every family from the, from the floor to the balcony today to join me at this altar. And I want us to pray together for our families. When you get here, I want you to grab hands with your family. When you come, come as close as you can all the way to the front so people in the aisles can come. Would you come today, bring your families. I want us to pray. Come on. Come on. Then Jesus blood. Fill in over here all the way to the side to the front so folks can get in. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But folks, come on up here real close. Come on. Come on, close as you can to the steps so everybody can get in. I want us to be together. Come on. Come on. just a moment. If you're, you're here in this altar today and you say, Pastor, I need God to work in my family. Would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand and be honest? I need God to work in my family, Pastor. See? What are we going to do about it? We're going to pray like it depends on God and we're going to work like it depends on us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I really want to, I want to I want to hurry through this and pray because we've got a meal we want to get to, but I, I don't want to rush the work of the Holy Spirit right here. Amen. Amen. Come on, work, oh Holy Spirit. Work, Lord. We wait on you, God. We wait upon you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speak, oh God. Hallelujah. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. I'm going to say this under the unction of the Holy Ghost right now, and you'll just have to take it for whatever it's worth. There's some folks in here today, you're about one or two more bad decisions from completely just destroying your family. And there are some of you, you've been playing with fire, and when you play with it, you're going to get burnt. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm just telling you what I hear the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear right now. I'm telling you, husbands and wives, you better be careful the people you let into your life and let into your circle. You better guard your marriage. You better guard it good. And you better keep a hedge built up around it. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Jesus. 
this may, listen, this may prove to be completely wrong. I'm out in left field, but I'm telling you, I, I feel the Holy Spirit right here, Sean Burton, talking to me. I need to tell some husbands, you better start loving your wives and treating her like she's supposed to be treated. You better start doting over her and giving her some more affection. I'm going to tell some wives, you need to start respecting your husband like you're supposed to and loving him and caring about him. I'll tell you what the devil will do. He'll come in and drive a wedge between you. When he does, listen, he'll destroy the family. You hear what I'm telling you? Pastor, I'm not sure I like what you're saying. I'm not sure I'm really concerned at this moment because I really feel the Holy Spirit talking to me. Come on, speak. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, hallelujah. Speak. Listen, we're not teenagers anymore. We're not teenagers anymore. Stop playing childish games in your marriage and in your home because if you don't, the devil's going to kill it. Man, I hear the Holy Ghost talking to me. Stop talking to everybody else and start talking to your spouse about what's going on. church in America is probably four or five messed up marriages away from just being nothing. Because if we can't have unity in the home, it certainly won't happen in the church, Brother Kenny Hancock. It won't happen. And if you can't be united at home, we'll never be united here. Listen, we need to start having some prayer meetings in our homes. That means, listen, moms and dads, before you tuck your kids in, it's time to start praying and prophesy over them and declare the will and the work of God to be done in their lives. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Man, I just feel a strong warning from the Holy Spirit that there's some of you, you better be careful because you have been teetering on the edge of this thing and you're, you're messing with stuff and thinking about stuff and your mind has wandered down a place it has no business going. And if you're not careful, you'll let the devil in that mind. I'm telling you, he will mess your family up. We cannot afford to let the family be fractured. Get the hand of your family wherever you are. We're going to pray and we're going to be done. Hold those hands up to God right where we are. I want you to help me intercede and pray for our families today. Father, in the name of Jesus. Spirit of the Lord says today, this serves as a warning for some of you. I am leaving you some space for grace. I know every thought that you have. 
I know wandering eyes and places that you have taken yourself mentally. But I come today, says the Spirit of God, to warn you to be very careful where you tread and where you walk and where you go. The enemy of your soul has a plan to destroy your home, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your children. I'm calling you today, says the Spirit of God, to rise up in my power, to rise up in my strength, to rise up in my might and take control of your thoughts, take control of your eyes, take control of what you allow to come into your ears and be strong and be courageous and be bold and be mighty and call out to me again and I will work in your home I will bring revival to your home I will restore I will renew I will refresh this day says the spirit of God I'm waiting on you to call out to me and when you do I will work in your life and in your family says the spirit of the Lord Raise up your hands and welcome the Holy Ghost. He's talking to us today.